Welcome to Critical Dialogues. I'm Matthew Rana, and with me as always is Christine Antaya. For this episode, we talked with artist Kabe Chow. Born in 1980, Kabe grew up in Penang, Malaysia, and Auckland, New Zealand, and has lived and worked in Malmö since 2010. She received her MFA from Malmö Art Academy in 2012, and in 2018 was the recipient of the Barbro and Holger Backström Scholarship, one of Sweden's largest and most prestigious art awards. Kabe is exhibited in Sweden at venues such as Moderna Museet and Lund Konsthall, and internationally at Vermilion Sands, Tronen, Goya Curtain, Dry, and most recently in the group show What We Are Working With at Kunstlerhaus Bregenz. I mentioned Kabe's bio and CV somewhat reluctantly, for as we discuss in this conversation, which deals less with ideas surrounding artworks and more with the social, ethical, and political work of building an artistic practice, such performance indicators can also act as powerful mechanisms of control. As she suggests here, reassessing one's ambitions, commitments, and identifications especially from the relatively privileged vantage of the global north, takes on even greater urgency during our current semi-post-pandemic situation, when new forms of management have become normalized and the global art world has more or less returned to business as normal. We talked about being a goblin in the basement, the working conditions of artists, and her right to mobility as a second-generation Chinese immigrant to Malaysia. Now, without further ado, here's our conversation with Kavi Chow. Welcome, Kavi. It's great to to have you here. We're glad that you can make it, Thanks even though it's like <laughs> raining sideways in Malmo today. Um, but I know you recently got back from Austria, right? Could mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what you were doing there? Yeah, um, I traveled last week to Austria as it was. Um, I think Austria went into a national lockdown last Monday and I arrived on Sunday uh, and so the it, day before yeah uh-huh. so it's 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 you know it was a a bit of a strange a how do I say strange experience to fly into a country that was that you knew was uh, going into a lockdown but I was there to um be part of a group exhibition called, um, I believe, what we're working with. <laughs> like, I'm not sure. Anyway, this this group exhibition it's at um, Kunstlerhaus Bregenz, so it's like a um, a small town. I don't know if I should characterize it as a small town, but it's it's a small town by the Alps, and uh, it's really lovely. And um, I was working with. Uh, group of artists who are it was it was it was a really nice to spend time with them and uh, like in spite of it being uh, kind of pretty strange circumstances in that like we 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 didn't really meet anyone local really and we uh, you know we kind of had this little bubble of uh, install week where um, we hung out with each other and uh, talked about each other's works but we, uh, there, yeah, there wasn't so much uh, engagement or possibility of engagement with the local community, and then 
yeah, there was also no opening for the mm. exhibition. Did you know these artists from before or were you in invited um, by a curator? Yeah, so it, the project was curated by um, our projects, which consists of um, Kevin Malcolm and Christina Bankson. And these two artists, um, I mean, I think Kevin is like more involved with the Vermilion Sands in Copenhagen, mm. which is an artist-run space. And so I've worked previously with Kevin on an exhibition in Vermilion Sands and um, we kind of like maintained a conversation that I also knew Christina, obviously, or not obviously, but anyway. Uh, and yeah, I think, yeah, maybe we were, we were having some of, we were kind of having some of the same questions kind of rolling around in our heads and so I think I think that was possibly one of the reasons why um, they had invited me to be part of this group exhibition. What kind of questions were you thinking about when you said I that you think, had? Um, yeah I think when I when I was when I kind of started this working relationship with Vermilion Sands uh, I don't know if it's okay to say this, but I hope it is. Uh, I think the sort of three people who are running Vermilion Sands, like they had very, uh, either had just given birth or had very, very young children. And um, they were also trying to still run the space. And it was this sort of, I guess, in a way it became unrealistic to do things the way they usually would um, and they had to try to think about possibly slowing the pace but also like reconsidering like what is worth doing like and so not necessarily having to like hit like this quota of like 12 exhibitions a year turn mm. around like you know and like uh, yeah it's it's you kind of had to approach things differently um, and also like value the things that are not purely about art or I mean I think everything's interrelated in a way but I think um, yeah um, yeah hmm. well I mean was the exhibition able to open or no did it? no 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 so uh, what did we do? Um, instead, we just we drove up to the mountain because it began snowing on Friday, which is when the exhibition would have opened. And um, yeah, went for a nice walk in the <laughs> snow-capped mountain. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really beautiful, and we threw some snowballs. Um, yeah. But the show was sort of kind of installed and ready to open, like once. Yeah. If, yeah. If, yeah. 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 You know, like your most recent exhibition in the Malmo region was at Kronos Huset in, in Lund mm -hmm. um, this summer. It's just for our listeners who haven't been there, it's this 14th century, I guess, sort of brick tower, small, mm. on a um, central square in Lund. Um, and I know we, um, you have a, you wrote an, a text for that exhibition that you didn't end up using mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we thought it would be 
nice if you wanted to read that for us. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So this was um, something I wrote initially for um, the exhibition, which we didn't end up using because um, I, I don't think it maybe didn't fulfill the criteria of like how a press release is expected to perform and un understandably uh, and also I, I kind of it's it's quite it's quite bad <laughs> <laughs> anyway here goes um, the third little pig built a house of brick and mortar the point is to work hard pig said it is to build a house that lasts impervious to the huffing and puffing of wolf we tidied its corpse and picked at its flesh between our teeth, not by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin. Chin. We sealed over nine windows with even more bricks. When questions came pounding at the door, Pick said, come in, come in. They asked, what if up was down and down was up? If top and bottom could be rearranged over, if center is periphery, why here? They made themselves at home in the soft, habitable body of pig. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. I mean, the <laughs> the exhibition had the the title bottom, mm -hmm. um, and we should say also. I mean, there are three floors, mm. right, in this in this uh, gallery building, and the the bottom. Or I mean, the bottom floors basement basically mm. with small sort of medieval windows um had you like was the building a, a starting point for this top bottom mm. theme or yeah i think i guess um, i did want to work very closely with the architecture because it is such a specific building and uh, uh I don't you don't get so many opportunities to work with something in a way so weird mm, medieval <laughs> uh, yeah uh, it's special maybe weird is not the right word um, and so I think one of the challenges maybe for um, someone approaching a solo show there might also be kind of to think because they're quite those the three floors they're also fairly different spaces they feel different and they have very different quality of light and I think uh, your body also responds to the temperature in the room and I don't know like uh, the surface of the walls and um, yeah, how how visibly aged the structure is in some cases. Like the basement really feels like a medieval basement, mm. and the top floor maybe not as much. There's some indicators like, uh, you know, the proportions are. Uh, the ceilings are much lower. The doors are much narrower. The stairs are also narrow, um, that points to another time. Um, but and the top floor yeah. is also like the more white cube. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a more kind of conventional 
um, gallery space in mm. a way. Yeah, yeah. But how did the, I mean, did the sort of top-bottom theme feed into ideas that you were mm. previously working with in, in your art? Mm. I mean, the, I mean, I, Regretfully, <laughs> I regretfully didn't see the no the ex exhibition, but yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. But I know that the words, yeah, yeah, top, uh, for example, was a prominent feature. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, I mean, the, I guess the architecture itself, you know, lent itself pretty easily to this. Um, top bottom separation like also to kind of um conceptualize them as like three different spaces maybe but of course also i was um i mean the <laughs> the show is uh called bottom for a number of reasons um bottom mm, was maybe also how I was feeling at the time, like uh, several um, really, I mean, I think uh, this this must feel like a cliche to say at this point, like, uh, you know, during this pandemic also had like several bouts of depression and felt like it was uh, kind of I don't know, hitting hitting like a bottom in a way, and which sounds a bit dramatic now, because you know we're still like um, the bottom here is like a top elsewhere, you know, mm. um, and um, bottom was also like a useful way to for me to think about the idea of a top um, and. Um, I'd returned for a period of time to Malaysia um, during the pandemic. Um, was, it, was it last year? Like this time, I think I was in quarantine. And uh, there was like a glove manufacturing company called Top Glove that was snaring all the headlines as really... Uh, dominant in terms of um, like it was making record-breaking profits because of the pandemic and it was also um, how do I say like um, making news for um, I guess different like alleged labor abuses, like um, how workers weren't able to keep social distancing. Mm. I don't even know if that's the term there. But um, and also having to endure um, terrible living conditions, uh, living and working conditions. Um, but I mean, with top glove, it's also I think something that also maybe mm, kind of mm, 
piqued my interest. Uh, sounds morbid to say. Uh, was the way it employed language and had these very straightforward um, kind of slogans almost. Like, I think their logo would say top glove, top quality, top efficiency. So it's just like very direct narrative of the top and like, you know, what what it takes to, I don't know, like accomplish this topness and this very classic idea of ascension, but also of success. Um, and yeah, uh, basically all these things that I think were called into question during this time not only this time but like it really became emphasized somehow during mm. this time yeah but so in a way that show was very much kind of a pandemic pandemic show, show. <laughs> or i mean it it was they were issues that had sort of come up during um, the pandemic or i mean would you say that the pandemic like has had a big impact on your on your practice and in general hmm. I mean I think it was like quite inescapable but I also you know I'm I'd also like to like resist this idea of like you know making art that uh, somehow like topical for the times mm. or like you know it's so contemporary <laughs> uh and at the same time, um, I don't know, one is human, <laughs> one responds to these things. And, um, but yeah, would I, would I make the same show? Um, not at the same time, probably not. But I, I, I think that's, that's like, um, it's like, you know, you, you'd make a different show six months after you know like it it's sort of almost yeah so yeah I mean, it's like yeah things so it's, happen and yeah <laughs> things happen the thing that happened now was yeah. the pandemic yeah. And yeah 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 your stay in malaysia and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but um how just going back to where we are now a little bit how how long have you lived in Malmo you came to Malmo to mm, to study I came, yeah and I came to Malmo to Malmo Art Academy to study for my MFA in 2010 so I've been here for a while yeah why did you end up staying do you think why did I end up staying um that's a good question um I mean I I came from I came to Melma from New Zealand so it was also I think you know there was a great deal of uncertainty at that point when I graduated to be honest uh, I didn't really know where I should go or if like if I wanted to stay if I could stay uh, it was you know kind of financially precarious it was like legally precarious um so it felt like okay, so far this is the only place that i really know of in europe mm. <laughs> it seemed like maybe 
n- not a insane idea to um, stay and just try to stabilize a bit. Um, But so you have been to art school in in New Zealand. Mm, yes, I've also been to. Yeah, I did my bachelor's there, mm. and then I also, in a way, started working as an artist there and mm, worked as a librarian and uh, also did some tutoring in critical studies uh, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think. Yeah, maybe it's like useful to also say what the conditions were like in New Zealand for me. Like, it didn't feel like sustainable, <laughs> possibly. And, and like, I would, I think I was um, when I left, I was working two jobs. So I was working at the library, and I was also working as a tutor, and felt like I was just able to make rent, and that was. Uh, yeah, it also did, it didn't feel like there was things could potentially improve, um, mm. and like I think ho- housing is like a bit of an issue in Auckland, in New Zealand, I think. But then uh, I have to say, different strokes, different folks. I mean, like I have other friends who have made it work for them, and like in my case, it wasn't. Uh, felt felt difficult and mm. then I felt like mm. I think I was also very curious uh, and I wanted to um, pursue art quite seriously uh, and I felt like you know I, I mean I, I question a lot of these things now but it, it felt like a logical thing to then pursue a master's of fine arts mm. in, Like it, I mean, was yeah. it like in Europe primarily, or was it Sweden, or was it Malmo, or? Yeah, I think um, I honestly um, had very limited ideas on like where to go uh, or what to apply for. Also, like what I could afford. Um, so I remembered I asked. Uh, I was. Uh, I was speaking to a Chinese curator at the time, Carol Yinghua Lu, and also another artist, Alicia Frankovic, uh, who had been in Berlin for a while. And I think I talked to both of them about, like, you know, I'd really love to do my postgrad in Europe. Like, I don't have money, <laughs> and um, I don't speak any other European languages other than English, uh, and. Like, would you have any suggestions? And actually, they both pointed to Malmo. Oh, okay. yeah. And <laughs> it's like, it's it's very strange because not so, not so many people know about the school. But I did come across these two people who did, and that changed the course of my life. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think you know one of the reasons that we, you know, asked you if you would read the the kind of parable mm-hmm. that you wrote for your exhibition bottom is because it it's so like you know evocative of many uh i think of the concerns that seem to be kind of animating your practice at the moment mm-hmm. i mean there's yes top and bottom and this kind of inversion of power relations and but there's also things 
I mean, there's the interior and exterior and kind of how that speaks to like security and precarity, mm-hmm. vulnerability and care. Um, also, you know, I think to a certain extent, it speaks kind of at a, at a different level to like issues of like autonomy and heteronomy in art. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, I mean, one of the things though that I wanted to, to kind of talk to you about or explore a little bit w- with you about that text is I was kind of very curious about the shifting pronouns <laughs> this kind of shift between you know the us and the our and the there yeah and yeah. sort of what that might kind of suggest about kind of like how you're thinking about your sort of situation I guess as an artist uh, mm. in Sweden at the moment or just kind of in general I was just wondering if maybe you could elaborate a little bit on that kind of like because there seems to be sort of an antagonism there but also uh, a sort of desire to kind of manifest like a we mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. yeah I can't say I was like that attentive to the pronouns <laughs> like, it's, it's just like kind of revealing of how uh, careless I am as a writer um, but Yeah, I mean, this thing about, you know, being an artist in Sweden, um, it's, I feel like I'm going to shoot myself in the foot here. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a strange position. It's a, you know, it's a strange privilege. Like, there are not so, I think I was telling you guys this, is not so many people, um, who grew up where I grew up um, and kind of got to choose this as a way of making a living. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I want to say something about maybe a, like, um, like myself personally in Malmo, and this is not to, um, again, uh, how do I say, defined as for others. Um, it's it's not always been smooth. Uh, it's, you know, th- some years have been better than others. And I think, um, like I remembered when you guys came up to my um, studio, we paused at the lunch table. There in my studio collective is um, Vista and it's like above um, Alta, it's like at the end of Celsius Gotham, and um, yeah, we paused at the lunch table, and I was like, yeah, this is where we have lunch together, and I think, um, I think like Matthew had asked something like, so it's kind of cozy and tight, and I and I was like, ah, <laughs> and I and I don't mean to say it's not cozy and tight. I I I, I think it was more like this moment where. I was thinking it's not like um it's not it's not a situation that's like evenly available to all. It's um it's taken and again <laughs> it's it maybe comes quicker to some than others, uh, and it's like it's taken a long time to also um not feel less lonely in Malma and um 
I felt like for a long time um, I would maybe go to my studio, not really see anyone else. Uh, and yeah, uh, or hmm. yeah, like go to an opening and not really know who to talk to. Like uh, it's it's like it's sort of kind of in a way unimaginable now, but it's sort of like when you're kind of really on the out, you're it's it's it becomes like uh, ultra difficult to even make a first step like who do you approach mm. like who do you start a conversation with it's like um and i kind of i don't know maybe also want to say to people who are in the basement not seeing anyone it's like it's not because you're like a loathsome goblin you know it's because it's sometimes it, it is hard and it's mm. sometimes it takes time and um sometimes things can be inordinately slow here and that's not to mean uh, that I prefer things to go very very fast but um, yeah I think it can take a longer time to build relationships and also yeah start start forming alliances with people you can kind of talk to and um, you think it's because of the size of mm, I mean that it's not I as many options or not as many sub scenes I'm not entirely sure but I mean I again I want to emphasize like <laughs> I've been like tremendously lucky because now I realize I've kind of like maybe put forth this narrative that I've been like this like tormented lone like um, animal in the basement or something but <laughs> it's like <laughs> No, it's I've been a bit extremely uh, privileged, but um, also uh, let's say um, why is it difficult? Um, I think sometimes, like say with certain like maybe studio buildings, like there is just like they're like set practices and maybe people don't say hi to each other necessarily like you can you can work in the same building for years and never have a conversation mm. with each other and it's sort of it has to be almost um, like someone has to very almost consciously break that pattern uh, and I think I don't know I've, I've been like very fortunate to be around others who were also very um, generously reached out to me and um, yeah it's it's strange because I mean I think in a way like I've uh, inst insisted so much on autonomy but like you come to like a new country and you I don't know you don't really have a context there it's like you kind of have to lean heavily on the kindness of others and uh it's sort of it's it's a uncomfortable place to put yourself in also um but yeah i've, I've been what i mean to say is i've been very lucky <laughs> so yeah um yeah
like so much so much of this is like um it's like so hard won you know like the ability to sit here uh the ability to have a studio uh, <laughs> uh have a first hand apartment <laughs> like all of these things and it's like it, it would be such a shame to not give yourself space to do precisely what you want but i i also say this and knowing full well that i i struggle with it all the time and i um I don't know. It's almost like I put up impossible barriers for myself mm -hmm. also. Um could you give an example of what <laughs> impossible barriers? Um I think they could they could just be also so wary of like rehashing a narrative, but like it's really true. But like I think kind of think of like the the generational struggles in my family and kind of yeah everything that has brought me to this position and uh, it's always it's always impossible to make something that is worthy you know um it's always even marginally worthwhile or could and I think this may be also like a ridiculous absurd way to look at it and um, it's it's sort of like pointless um, or what you mean like the uh, like the art <laughs> object itself like make, yeah, that's making too much to, I think an that's, object that would be worthy of yeah I think it's like you can't really can't really burden it with that much um, responsibility or like yeah you can't you can't expect it to do so much um, yeah <laughs> and maybe that's like me not being ambitious enough I don't know <laughs> yeah No, but I mean, <clears throat> we have reached this kind of strange kind of point in art, though, where like, you know, artists who make kind of market oriented work are being praised for taking a kind of radical stance. Mm -hmm. The idea being that, you know, sort of because you can't kind of get outside this the system that, you know, at least when you're producing objects or commodities mm. that you yourself are not the commodity mm, right mm. but i think i mean what often gets left out of those conversations i think is the fact that like increasingly art does kind of act as um it's like metaphysical index is what uh, diedrich diedrichson calls it um which is sort of indexes uh kind of the artist's virtuosity as an intellectual labor which mm. is also to say that it sort of takes the kind of ethics of building a form of life or um, kind of 
even your identifications and turns them into a kind of value producing environment mm -hmm. um, for the work. Um, and I mean, I'm just kind of wondering, like, how do you like, how do you actually negotiate that kind of violence, mm. like, as an artist, when mm. when it seems like there's like no escape from this, like. Mm. Double bind. Yeah, I think, you know, and I think um, probably I'm not in a position where I'm making like zero compromises, but uh, I think it's like, it's definitely a position that affords some choices, <laughs> uh, some level of refusal, uh, I think refusals are important and I think um, you mean in the sense of like saying no to opportunities or um, yeah I don't think one I think this is also the thing with I think uh, the logic of operating as an artist now there's this idea that what you should want is more visibility, more exposure, bigger shows, more representation, more big. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, it's um, it's 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 there, you know. But it's also like I think there are ways to also move around that or circumvent that. Um, and not give it so much value. Um, but it's also, I mean, if we come down to practicalities, it's also, it's, it's like, it's easy to say, but it's also like, you know, if you need to apply for a grant, you know, they want to know what shows you did in the last two years. They want to know who wrote about it. You know, like there are all these kind of markers of, how you're performing as a professional artist and that um, yeah I I don't know yeah it's um, but I think I think it's interesting to have those questions like in the air all, like just also in conversations with my peers but also mm, colleagues and that's sort of how I guess that questioning can also maybe build an alternative model um, or models um, of sustaining this and doing this in A way that's not harmful to ourselves uh, but so yeah it's like in a way let's say like the bullshit is there <laughs> well we don't have to like perpetuate it and at the same time it's it's easier said than done like you always find yourself complicit in some way um, but 
yeah i feel i feel like these questions are coming up more and more to the surface and i think that's a good thing like in general in the art world Mm. or like among for you or i hope it's in our (laughs) but you have to see i guess i have to say like i mean you know during the pandemic and we're still in it um spend a lot of talk about reimagining the art world and reimagining the structures and and as soon as like we enter this almost semi post-pandemic state it's like everything snaps Mm. back to normal art basel like art fairs all back on and like and then the pace resumes and and it's like what what were we questioning (laughs) like i don't know um and i i also get that like um i don't know it hasn't been an easy time for anybody you know and that also in a way the resumption of normalcy perhaps in some way was also necessary for people just to hold on to some shred of sanity you know in these times and so yeah (laughs) it's it's also difficult to like just stay in existential dread forever <laughs> like yeah, you're, kinda, yeah. you're also like uh, it also kind of feels like the pandemic in a way was a kind of rehearsal of mm, refusal because it yeah you know it became we all had excuses to say no to things mm. or even if the offers were fewer but it was sort of like it was okay to kind of want to retreat or yeah yeah um stay home as it were yeah and but i i agree with you now that it's all back on like (laughs) i don't think i don't think that you know there's a more space for refusal post-pandemic or like Mm -hmm. it's not okay to stay home (laughs) it's not okay i mean (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i hope it's at least like shifted the understanding a bit of I don't know. I mean, it's wishful thinking, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm supposed to say hi, Julia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. At some point. Okay. Yeah. But I, I, I want to give like a shout out also to like my studio collective, <laughs> like uh, Vista and also Alta um, underneath. And it's been like, I think uh, it's played like a very important role in terms of making this feel sustainable um and not as lonely um and the like this kind of influx from umio like with you know mati and julia and the guys at alta have been um a very uh, nourishing addition to the Malmo art scene and also to my life and i'm very grateful they decided to come here <laughs> Yeah. This the theorist Sienai talks about the cute as this kind of aesthetic category mm. that mixes vulnerability and aggression. Mm. And I mean the idea that, you know, sort of cute objects appear powerless, but in fact they actually make uh kind of excessive demands on you. Mm. Um thinking about these like Tamagotchi or mm. nano pets or something like but I think the bigger kind of the bigger issue that the cute sort of brings up 
is this idea that sort of works that we might think of as compromised somehow or complicit maybe Mm. in a way uh, at least not critical of the market or capitalism Um, that somehow by inhabiting sort of like arts powerlessness or it's kind of like lack of agency Mm. that that actually affords a critical space Mm. right and so probably that's the only critical space that art can actually occupy under a kind of capitalist system Mm. and and I mean, just kind of thinking about what we're we're sort of talking about in, in terms of like refusals and complicity. I mean, there's probably a, a, a clever way to sort of make that bridge. I don't know if I'm there yet. <laughs> um, because it does always seem that like, you know, that there's enough people who are sort of like willing to kind of enter that space that like your refusals kind of get washed out mm. by all the people who want to kind of enter yeah yeah um and so that feels a bit like a risk to me mm. um and so i i guess you know it's a sort of very convoluted and rambling mm. kind of question but i'm kind of curious what to hear your take on this yeah i mean i want to say also for for people who do enter the space it's really it's it's really difficult to be an artist you know and it's really uh, it's um i mean <laughs> something i wanted to say earlier uh also might be like completely irrelevant but like in Malmö like I have I have and I believe others have also felt like you might actually drop dead before you ever get a show here like you know like you know you could it's like I think I wrote this thing about Malmö that it's like a a guaranteed pathway to obscurity you know um it's not and that's not 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 a knock on it it's just like uh sometimes things can take time so I really um, I I fully appreciate that it's like um, yeah artists are often like put in like also a tough situation that you know that they're not really in um, a position of power to refuse like and cannot afford the refusal um and sorry, what was the other part of the question? It's like the no, but I mean, but it's also like kind of the going back to the the parable of the mm, of the pigs mm, that mm. you know, in terms of the center and periphery. Yeah, I mean the the periphery is also probably even more susceptible to the kind of normative prompts that come from like the alpha cities of. Mm. the global art world right yeah 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 i always remember this thing um okwe and quezor i hope i'm not mispronouncing um it's talk he did in stockholm um maybe 2014 uh where he spoke about you know how 
like which which artists could have mobility you know like uh, for instance if if a Swedish artist was to move to New York to further their careers like that seems like a normal trajectory but say if someone from Zimbabwe would move to Sweden like that would somehow sometimes in the art world that, that would kind of be perceived as some sort of loss of authenticity you know as though right. like they were then you know, draping themselves in like first world trappings and therefore less you know some in some measure and it's like yeah who has the right to mobility um and who also who determines that like whose value is what um what what is your value predicated upon um so yeah it, it it's also weird like i don't know being here but also being a foreigner and usually being defined that way and it's not something um how do I say? It's, it's not untrue. I do come from Malaysia and New Zealand, and I do actually feel quite like an alien a lot of the times. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I think when, when it becomes this thing that is possible to extract from as, you know, like, I don't know, some kind of like value added entity uh, you know it's it's weird uh, but then also so sometimes I think when um, I don't know if I'm working with an institution or a curator when I want to include that uh, I sort of try to sidestep it but at the same time I know it's relevant like I know it is forms um, a part, of, you know, it it's quite crucial to the way I look at things, and yeah, I I don't know, I don't know what I'm saying exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just contradicting. Uh, I mean, there's yeah, this is like a lot of conflicts, I guess. With Okay, thanks, Kavi. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. Sorry if that was like really depressing. <laughs> we recorded this at InterArt Center in Malmo, Lund University's interdisciplinary platform for artistic research. Many thanks to InterArt Center's director, Christian Skolberg Jensen, and Jonas Jensen for technical assistance. And thank you to the City of Malmo for funding this season of the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as well as on the Inner Art Center's website. If you enjoyed the show, please like the episode, subscribe, or leave us a review. Or, if you have questions or comments, or would just like to get in touch, send us a message at critical.dialogues at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. This has been Critical Dialogues. Thanks for listening.